This podcast is available in video at fpcgolfport.org and fpcgolfport on YouTube. Good morning. I invite you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, me and John chapter 6. And while you turn there, I'd ask you to consider, or really ask if you have considered, how much our lives revolve around food? How much our lives revolve around food? I know this is definitely true for me, but I think it's true for all of us. Even if you have a really healthy relationship with food, how much of your time is really taken up with planning, purchasing, preparing, even eating the food, right? Not to talk about all the time you have to make the money to buy the food or grow the food. And, you know, food is one of life's necessities. It does make sense that we take so much time with it. You know, food, clothing, shelter, you've got to have those. Some things, they seem like necessities, like cars or air conditioning, but you don't have to have them, right? Now, don't get me wrong, you're not going to see me riding a bicycle to church in July, in the middle of the summer, anytime soon. But it wouldn't kill me, right? I would want to die, but it would not kill me. But see, food is really not like those things. You know, we can go a little while without food. People like me, I've got some reserves, I can go a little longer. But see, you can't go forever. And this basic desire for food is built inside of us. It's one of the realities that Jesus builds upon in our text this morning to teach us about an even deeper truth, something more than filling our stomachs. He shows us our deep-seated desire and need really for life itself, and not just any life, but eternal life. Now, in the first 15 or so verses of chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families, which means it could have been as many as 15,000. We don't really know, but at least 5,000 men. And from what he started with was a boy who he had five barley loaves and two fish. And by the time it was over, there was 12 baskets full of bread pieces left over. And so the people seeing that and, and eating that, they recognized that he was a prophet. And they're like, you know what, this would be a really good guy to make as our king. He can give us bread. We won't have to work for it. So they were going to take him by force and make him king But Jesus withdrew to a mountain. And then during that time, the disciples, they got on a boat and went to Capernaum to cross the sea. And somehow in the middle of that sea, Jesus met them out there. And how did he do that? He walked on the water. And so we see right here at the beginning in chapter 6 that Jesus has control over creation. He has control over these physical elements of breaking bread that shouldn't even be there, continuing to feed but also even walking over the water. Now, of course, it was only the disciples who saw him walk over the water, but what he's revealing is that, yes, yes, he is a king. They were right to want to make him king in a sense, but see, he's more than just merely a king. He's the king of the universe. He's Yahweh. He's the the I Am. Now, the next day, the crowd was really rightfully confused. You know, they saw the disciples get on the boat. They didn't see Jesus get on the boat, yet Jesus was gone, and they couldn't find them. You know, question marks are circling around their heads and they're putting on their thinking caps. They can't figure it out. So they got into boats and and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 25 with Jesus teaching with what we later find out is in the synagogue, but this happens in the synagogue. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for its truth and its clarity. Would You give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Give give me clarity of thought and speech. Lord, let Yourself be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when the crowd found Jesus in the synagogue, and they didn't know exactly how they got there, and so they asked what really is a logical question. Rabbi, when did you get here? And implied with that is, is how long have you been here? They they really don't understand, because it really doesn't add up unless you know that he walked on water to get to the boat, and that's really not the first thing that you're going to think of. But Jesus, in what is really his typical fashion, he doesn't answer their question, really. He gets to the heart of the reason that they were even seeking Him in the first place. So in verses 26 and 27, Jesus has answered them, said, Truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking Me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. So, Notice that the reason the crowd even sought Jesus in the first place is because he gave them something to eat. And they went, well, we want some more of this bread, right? We had some, our, our bellies were full, right? But, of course, their hearts, they, they're still far from him. And so they received the benefit that this miracle, this sign that Jesus performed, they were the recipients, but they really missed the whole point, Because this sign was not just for the people's physical benefit. It was not just to feed hungry people, though he certainly did. But it was to show those hungry people Jesus' true identity. To show them that he was actually the Messiah. And while they ate from the food that Jesus provided, saw and performed this miracle, this sign, they didn't believe. You know, it's possible to be close to Jesus and not believe. This is something that it always 
really mesmerizes me when you see what Jesus did and how he did it and people who witnessed it, right? They witnessed the signs, they witnessed the miracles, but they didn't believe. You know, we think to ourselves sometimes, you know, if I could have been there and I would have saw what Jesus did, I would have just been the most faithful follower possible. I would have believed right there on the spot, but we actually fool ourselves. There were so many who saw, yet they didn't believe. You know, the problem that Jesus is getting at here with searching for food is that eventually you're going to get hungry again. And I will say by experience, every time that I've eaten, regardless of how much I paid for that meal or how much I ate, eventually I got hungry again. Now, it can satisfy in a sense, but it doesn't ultimately satisfy. And Jesus, he's telling them that, you know, you're searching for bread. You're searching really hard for bread. You should be seeking harder for something else. You should really be seeking for something that isn't going to perish, isn't going to leave you wanting more, but will actually lead to eternal life. So we don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying don't ever eat again or anything like that. He's saying it just, that just doesn't meet your deepest needs. C.S. Lewis said, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. You know, he's saying nothing is ever quite enough. Even things that, even good things that we pursue, good hobbies that we have, that there's a momentary pleasure there, but everything in this life to a certain extent falls just a little short, doesn't it? You know, we all have a void in our hearts. We, we have a need for something more. In Isaiah chapter 55, and I believe Jesus is really using this text in mind here in John 6, but in Isaiah 55, we read this in verses 1 and 2, Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he has no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. There is this, this reality, this truth that nothing in this world ever truly satisfies. We try, we certainly try, but it's not enough. But Jesus is telling us that he offers a food that actually satisfies. Why? It meets those needs. It leads to eternal life. Now, how can we know that Jesus is able to provide this? This is a pretty big claim. Well, we see that God the Father has set his seal on Jesus, on his son. He's testified that Jesus is the genuine son of God. He is the true Messiah. He writes really big checks, right? But they always cash. The signs that Jesus performed were Again, they're not signs just for signs sake. They were showing who Jesus was. They were showing his true identity. We can think of other times that God set his seal upon Jesus. Maybe some of our children can help me out here. Now, last week in Sunday school, you learned about a time when God placed his mark of approval on Jesus. A time when God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Any of our children remember when that happened? What was happening to Jesus when that happened? Anybody remember? Go for it. His baptism. Yeah, so in a part of his baptism, we see God placing his mark. He said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So let's look at how the people responded to what Jesus said. Verse 28. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? 
And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So really what we see with their response is they totally missed the point. That's going to be a theme here. You know, they're so wired in their Jewish thinking here towards working for their salvation, towards performing works of the law to keep in right covenant with God that they thought they must work their way into the kingdom to earn eternal life. Now, with what they said, maybe it was genuine. Maybe they're saying, yeah, we truly desire to do God-honoring works. But see, they don't recognize that they can't do them. They have no ability to do them. So Jesus' response really would not have been what they were expecting. He said, the work of God is to believe in Jesus. Eternal life is not about some labor you perform It's not about how much righteousness you can muster up, even doing these great works that they want to do. It's about believing in Jesus. It's about faith, just resting and receiving in all that Jesus offers in the gospel. Now, if you're like me, your knee-jerk reaction to such a claim is, you know, is is that really all I have to do? Is it really enough for me to simply believe upon Jesus and I will receive eternal life? And the answer is yes. No, it's not too good to be true. Jesus is that sufficient of a Savior. The price He paid was that great that it is sufficient. Now, when we say that, even kind of in asking that question, um, it really sounds like such an easy thing to do. All I have to do is believe in Jesus. Well, I can do that. That's not so hard. That's pretty easy. But actually, no. In fact, in verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we see without without a work of God, without a sovereign work of God, no one can believe in Jesus. And that faith which is so essential, which seems so easy, it's actually a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Of God. You know, we see this from experience too, right? Someone may say to you, Well, you know, I can believe in Jesus anytime that I want. Okay, well, prove it, do it, right? Just, just, just do it, just believe right now, muster up, just believe, and, and they can't. See, God has to work within our lives. You know, with again, such a radical proposal, it's not about these works that you need to do, it's about belief. The Jews demand to Jesus to prove his claim. In verses 30 through 31. Verse 30, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they recognized what Jesus was claiming, but He was talking about changing their very way of life. So, all right, well, you're going to have to show us a sign if we're going to believe you, right? Show us some receipts. Now, before we get into what he says, you got to keep in mind, who are these people? Yeah, these are the people that he just fed 5,000 men and their children with the kids' lunch, right? This is is the people who are asking for a sign. So it seems to me that they're saying, yeah, Jesus, you know what? You did a pretty great thing yesterday, but, you know... How about something like Moses did? You know, that Moses, he was really a prophet. Why don't you cook up some of that manna from heaven, that bread from heaven that he gave us? Of course, yesterday, the day before, Jesus, he multiplied the bread. 
But, you know, he still had something to start with. They wanted to give them bread straight out of heaven. There is at least one thing that should draw our attention here. Is it a good thing that the crowd identifies themselves with the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness? They call them, those are our fathers, those are our ancestors. Is that really a good thing? Is that that really who you want to be identified with? No, not exactly. Remember, those are the ones who didn't make it into the promised land due to their unbelief, even though they've been drawn out of slavery by God's hand, right? They've been taken out. They perished due to unbelief. They ate the manna, but they too, they did not trust God. You know, it's interesting that this group is really repeating the same sins as their ancestors. They ate bread from God, but they ignored His presence right there in their midst. So it should come to no surprise that in verse 41, John actually says that this group says that they grumbled, right? Which is right back to the Jews in the wilderness who were grumbling. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. So, first Jesus, He he corrected their views about the manna. He said, Moses gave instructions about the manna and how it was to be collected, but actually it was God who gave them the manna. But even that manna, which was bread from heaven, it wasn't the true bread from heaven. The manna, it was physical sustenance. It came down to provide for the people, but it itself pointed to the true bread from heaven, to point to Jesus. Because He came from heaven to give life to all who would receive Him. Now, again, the Jews, they're in their spiritually blind state. They still don't get it, but you know, they're thinking if Jesus is hiding some of this true bread from heaven, they would like some. So they say, you know, don't stop giving us this bread. Keep, keep it on with the bread. Like, we want it. Where, where is it? And that's when Jesus kind of throws this curveball at them. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So really as explicit as can be, Jesus reveals that what you're seeking, this bread that you really want, this bread is me. Jesus is the bread of life. And this is what we find is the first of the I am statements in John's gospel. And it shows Jesus as the one who imparts and sustains this everlasting life. Now, why did Jesus... Choose the, the metaphor of bread. Why, why did he choose bread? Well, I think first, I think bread is it's necessary for life, isn't it? When I first came here to FBC Gulfport, my family received a pounding. Now, if you aren't from here, it's less painful than it sounds, right? You know, it's only going to pound the pastor. Anyway, a pounding is when people bless you with basically the, the pantry staples, things like flour, sugar, in my house, peanut butter, right? So, and it's from those pantry staples that you can make the most essential things, usually. Things like bread, right? Now, in Jesus' day, this was really even more true. 
because bread was not just a staple. It wasn't just one thing that you needed. It really, for them, was the staple in their diets. And if people didn't have bread, they just simply wouldn't have survived, you know. You really would not have made it very long on a keto diet back then. But anyway, so in their daily eating of bread, really, oh, really, whatever food you eat, in a sense, it's a reminder of our weakness. You know, we're reminded that we can't, we can't even survive without it. And the truth here is, is just as bread is necessary for physical life, so is Jesus necessary for both physical and eternal life. We can't survive without Jesus. Not only does he sustain our every breath, he is our very life. And it's only by his grace that we live now and for eternity. The manna in the wilderness was a daily provision, wasn't it? Remember, they were only to gather what they needed, except for in preparation for the Sabbath day. If they didn't, if they gathered too much, the manna would rot and it'd be filled with worms. Protein, but anyway. This taught the Israelites to daily rely on God and Jesus. You know, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, what does he teach them to say? He says, give us this day our, our daily bread. And I think these are the ideas he's drawing on. Since Jesus is the bread of life, we're reminded that we must continually rely on him. You can't go even a single day without him. Jesus also uses this metaphor because bread nourishes the body and, and satisfies to a certain extent. And Jesus tells us explicitly, he says that those who come to him, they shall not hunger. They shall never thirst. Never. In Christ Jesus, we find satisfaction, the satisfaction that we're looking for. We fill the void that is really so ever-present for the unbeliever. Augustine very famously said, he said, Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Why are our hearts restless? Well, because we were made for God. He made us for himself. And Jesus, he satisfies this deep longing of the soul, this deep need that we all have. Because in Christ Jesus, we can actually know God and we can have peace with God. And see, Jesus, he satisfies. And Jesus, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. Jesus then addresses a, a major issue that's kind of seems to be presenting itself here. Right? The bread of life is right there in front of them, isn't he? But they're not taking it. They're not coming to Jesus. Verse 36 and 37, But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. You know, it seems like if this bread is so great, why don't they, why aren't they taking it? Why won't they come? But see, Jesus, he's saying, he's not a failure because of their rejection. Because, because all of his, all of his elect will come to him. All that the Father gives to Jesus will come to him. These Jews, they have seen and they don't believe. It's not a failure in Jesus. It's the hardness of their hearts. And they, they can't believe in their own power. In fact, no one can come to Jesus unless they are given to him and drawn by the Father. Coming to Jesus would require what we might say is a, a divine intervention. Right? Our hearts are so bent towards sin and away from him that we must be changed. And it's just Jesus, he told Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. 
So it's not taking Jesus by surprise that they're rejecting him here. He knows who the Father has given to him. And if we're given to Jesus, we'll come to him. And not only that, we'll be secure. This does give us a little confidence in sharing the gospel and evangelism, right? Because we see, you know, Jesus, he was rejected. Jesus was right there in front of people and they rejected him. But see, all who were this came to him. Same way when we preach the gospel, there will be, certainly be people who reject the message. Of course, they're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting God. But all of those who are his will hear it and will come. That really takes the pressure off of us. We're not the one who did the saving. We share the message. We share the word. But all of his will come. And we pick up in the middle of verse 37. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So here, and he does the same thing in verse 35, but Jesus How does he describe faith? He describes faith as coming to him. Coming to him. Look what a a beautiful picture that is. By faith, we come to our Savior. Right? We we bring nothing with us, no works, no merits. We come to Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, we we, we never should think to ourselves, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm not chosen. Maybe God's going to reject me. Maybe if I go, he's going to reject me. No. Come to Jesus. He receives all who come to him and trust him. He receives them all. He tells us here that he will never cast out those who come to him. And and while this is certainly a welcoming statement, it's even more a word of, of preservation here. For Jesus says, for him to say that he's never going to cast them out, means that he's going to actively keep all who truly Come Like a loving father and mother protect their children, so does Jesus protect his sheep. And for all of his church, all that the Father has given Jesus, he loses nothing. Not a single one. Just as bread sustains life, so does Jesus, the bread of life, preserve and sustain his people. Look again with me at the assurance that we have in Jesus. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. You see that shift there? And I will raise Him up on the last day. It's the Father's very will that everyone who believes in His Son will have eternal life. And on the last day, Jesus himself will raise up every believer into the fullness of everlasting life that he offers. And so our confidence, it lies in the strength of our Savior, right? Not in the strength of our faith. He's not saying your confidence that you have, the preservation you have is how tightly you can hold to Jesus. But what Jesus has done and his ability to keep you, our confidence is in Jesus. Now for the next 20 verses... Jesus, Jesus continues to correct the Jews' misunderstanding. Even saying, it, he says in verse 54, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Now, there's, there's a lot we could consider here and in the surrounding verses. But in short, this passage in this verse, it's clear we're not called to physically eat and drink Jesus' body and blood, but to trust upon Him for salvation. And I agree with Augustine when he said, believe and you have eaten. Now, After his, his extended discourse with many of his disciples, they heard these sayings, these hard sayings. He said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And many turned back and, and they no longer walked with Jesus. Now, of course, we know why they had never truly come, right? They were wanting Jesus. We don't know why for different reasons. But they never truly come. And we see that. You know, from our perspective, some people do seem to come to Jesus. They seem to walk with Him. And sometimes for many years, you know, they, they go to church and Sunday school. They even pray and read their Bibles. But if they truly turn away from Jesus, it's not because Jesus was not able to sustain them and preserve them. It's they, they had never truly come in the first place. They had been around Jesus. They had been around His people, but they never truly knew Him. They were never given to Him. Well, it seems a little discouraging to see all these people leave, but it ends on a better note. We close out this chapter with one of my favorite sections in all of the Bible, verses 67 through 69. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, he answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We see why Simon Peter is is not leaving. He's believed. He's come to know who Jesus truly is. He can't help but, but to stay. Perhaps you're seeing all these people. It is discouraging to them. There's doubts and things that creep into the mind. But Peter, even though we pick on Peter, this is a wonderful statement. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, we have to think, do we have anywhere else to go for eternal life? Would you stay with Jesus or would you go another way with some tough lessons here? Would you you look to what? Are you going to look to your good deeds or your piety? Are you going to try to look in some other type of religion or spirituality? Are you going to look at the things that you have or what you're worth? Where are you going to go? Really, none of those things are going to provide what we need, do they? No, eternal life is only found in Jesus. And the reality for the believer, for the Christian, is that life in this present age is difficult. There are trials. There are difficult things. There's several things we have to learn that we may not always agree with. There's times and even seasons of doubt. All of this is true, but I encourage you to say along with Peter, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Come to Jesus. Come to the bread of life. Let's pray. If you'd like to check out additional recordings or videos by Dr. Toby Holt, please visit our website at fpcgulfport.org. And if you're on the Gulf Coast, come join us at 10 a.m. Sundays at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi.